Welcome to Ecology XP, a series by the Pika Science Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Selkarowski Legree, and I'm here to talk to you about all things ecology and video games. For those of you who don't know me, I am a PhD student who studies arachnids and ecology. If you don't know much about ecology, that's okay. If you'd like a more in-depth introduction, you can check out my interview with Dr. Ray in the Pokey Science Podcast episodes. But for time's sake, in short, ecology is about how organisms and their environment interact. One of my goals for the EXP podcast is to bring scientists, gamers, and gamer scientists together. So today, my gamer scientist guest is Ben Nyman. Ben, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Jillian. Um, so yeah, my name is Ben. I'm a PhD student at the University of California, Riverside in the entomology department, and I study mosquitoes and ecology. Um, and I've previously studied spiders and, and other things, but mostly mosquitoes now. Ben and I go way back. We met on Twitter, right? Is that where we met? Yeah, through a spider Twitter. Through <laughs> spider Twitter. If you listeners at home could believe there is such a thing. But I've had the opportunity to get to know Ben. You're one of my good friends. Um, you've supported me a lot through my graduate school journey. So I'm always grateful for that. And I know you do vector ecology and understanding how insects like mosquitoes spread disease. So Ben, I want to welcome you to the Swool Patrol. Today we are talking about Buzzwool. Nice. <laughs> Buzzwool first appeared in Pokemon Sun and Moon as an Ultra Beast, and Buzzwool's Pokédex entry says that it's the swollen Pokemon, a bug and fighting type, and that Buzzwool is so strong it can destroy heavy machinery with just one punch. So Buzzwool is pretty clearly based off of a mosquito. You're a mosquito person. And contrast... Yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty clearly, I think. Uh, you might be stretching the definition of pretty clearly, but I agree, I guess. <laughs> It's it's like a contrast of a traditional view of a mosquito, right? We think of mosquitoes as like frail and fragile, but I guess contrast is a bit of an understatement because yeah. Buzzwool weighs 735.5 <laughs> pounds. Yeah. And is seven feet ten, seven feet ten inches tall. That's two point four meters. And for anyone who doesn't know, Buzzwool's name is based on a combination of buzz and swole, which is slang for extremely muscular. Yes. Ben, how would you use swole in a sentence for those who don't know how to use the word swole? Um, that, that's one swole mosquito Pokemon. <laughs> so since buzzwool is based on, mos based on a mosquito, which mosquito, if any, do you think it could be based on? Well, I mean, we're going to have to go probably with the biggest mosquito, um, which, you know, kind of goes back and forth. But in general, the biggest group of mosquitoes are um, the genus Toxorhynchites, which are known as elephant mosquitoes. Um, what? Both, both because they're big, but also because their proboscis actually curves like an elephant trunk. Um, oh, I had no idea. You know, however, um, they don't get that big. So <laughs> um, I think maybe they, they might, uh, you know, weigh in um, something like 10 milligrams or something, which is huge for a mosquito. Um, 
much less than whatever you said Buzzwell weighs. <laughs> I on Bulbapedia it says that it may be based on 80s Albopictus, but I think someone no. just like randomly As randomly someone that studies 80s Albopictus. Um 80s Albopictus is one of my study species alongside 80s Aegypti. Um it does nef- definitely does not give any 80s Albopictus vibes. Why do you say that? Uh, 80s Albopictus is a black and white, um, very decorated, very flashy, scaly um, mosquito, but it's it's very dainty. Um, it's one of the more, it's daintier than uh, some of the other um, day-biting mosquitoes. And they're, they're very like, you know, they have, they're really thin legs and thin bodies and yeah, not really giving, Buzzwell is not really giving anything. Um Actually, he's me, not, he's right, not look, serving of Buzzsaw, actually. Um, <clears throat> okay, so as far as 80s Albopictus, okay, I see one thing. So on top of Buzzsaw's head, there's this vertical stripe, kind of like a racing stripe. Um, so that actually matches the, the dorsal pattern of 80s Albopictus, which is just a, a white stripe. So I'll give it that. Everything else, no. <laughs> it is not giving 80s. No. It, it's it's not really giving Toxorynchites either, but that is the biggest <laughs> mosquito. Also, just but... interesting ecology uh, facts. So um, Toxorynchites and, um, well, specifically Toxorynchites is actually a cool mosquito because it actually doesn't blood feed. So. Oh, um, they're so big because the larvae are predatory. So they'll eat other mosquito larvae. They'll eat any other aquatic invertebrates. And they get so much protein as larvae that they don't actually need it as adults. And because they're so. Yeah, yeah. They they get their protein. (laughs) That's how they get swole. Um, And that's actually, you know, the the fact that they don't need a blood meal is actually what released them from being so small. So. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, so a limiting a size limitation on mosquitoes is the ability to blood feed on larger hosts. And if you're too big, it it'll be way too obvious, right? Um so most mosquitoes that do blood feed are smaller and then you have Toxorynchites, you know, which gets to be about like the biggest ones maybe less than an inch still, but so do all Toxorynchites, they're all predatory and do not blood feed, or are there exceptions? Um, there are no exceptions. In fact, their proboscis is curvy because it's it's soft. So it's actually, they can't penetrate um, skin or, or something like that, but it does make them better at getting nectar than other mosquitoes. Oh, that makes sense, thinking about like a butterfly's proboscis or a moth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they did that trade-off, and now they can't really go back. Well, thinking about the ecology of real mosquitoes, I wanted to use what we know about the ecology of mosquitoes to talk about the ecology of buzzwool. So like we talked about mosquitoes, well, like mosquitoes, buzzwool has a proboscis to stab prey and absorb energy. But unlike mosquitoes, um, buzzwool absorbs energy from other Pokemon, which triggers a chemical reaction within buzzwool's body that causes its muscles to grow at explosive rates, increasing its strength. And this reminds me of a post I saw in a entomology group, which you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yesterday, 
where mm-hmm. somebody made this post that was like, oh, we all can agree we like bugs here, but can we at least agree that mosquitoes shouldn't exist? And first of all, I and I'm sure you also disagree. But second, so many people were commenting about mosquito bites. So I wanted to, yeah, bring you in to talk about which mosquitoes bite, why mosquitoes bite. And a little later, we'll get into why they're not so bad as people think. Okay, so we're going to we're going to tackle that, uh, that elephant in the room (laughs) as a mosquito (laughs) ecologist. That's definitely like the number one question people ask, you know, so I heard we don't need mosquitoes and we just get rid of them. Is that true? That's definitely the most common question I get outside of just how do I stop them from biting me? Um, but yeah, so we can talk about mosquito bites. So besides Toxorhynchites, um, female mosquitoes specifically, so only female mosquitoes need to take blood meals in order to produce um, their eggs in general. There are some uh, mosquitoes that can collect enough nutrition in the larval stage where they emerge as adults and um, can lay one batch of eggs before having to take a blood meal. But those ones will eventually still take a blood meal um, later on. In the U.S., we have... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many mosquito species there are in the U.S. I'll just say in the world. So in the world, there are 3,500 about mosquito species. And the majority of those will bite. However, um, you know, around where people usually live, like cities or even like suburban areas, there aren't too many mosquitoes that are coming in and out. Um, we have a group of mosquitoes called Culex. Um, so that genus is pretty commonly associated with people. Culex quinquefasciatus, Culex pipiens, these are kind of our house mosquitoes. Um, however, they're usually only active um, at dawn and dusk. And they, a lot of the Culex species actually would prefer to bite birds um, than people. And they kind of just take people as an opportunistic meal. However, uh, in the past 10 to 20 years, we've had the increase in day biting mosquitoes. And many of these are invasive introductions. So in the U.S., we have Aedes aegypti, Aedes albopictus, Aedes japonicus, um, and a few other species um, that have come from Asia, Australia, uh, Europe, other places. And these ones are active during the day. They'll bite people for the most part. um, And they can complete their aquatic life cycle in like really, really small bodies of water. So when people are getting bit nowadays in most urban areas, that's usually these 80s mosquitoes that are to blame now. So what would you say in terms of percentage-wise what percentage of mosquitoes bite humans versus those that do not? Um, that's a good question. There's been some recent papers actually looking at human biting and even uh, disease transmission burden over the, the whole 3,500 species. And the answer is a really small percent. Um, so humans haven't been around that long, evolutionarily speaking. So most uh, mosquitoes that Specialized on humans now are actually really closely associated with other primates in their native ranges. So like in Africa, um, large apes, Asia, you got monkeys and other things, South American monkeys and apes. Um, So those primate feeding mosquitoes switched, some of them switched onto humans at some point as humans began to um, kind of expand their territory. 
Interesting. How does that make you feel about like the Jurassic Park theory then? <laughs> Mosquitoes. <laughs> do you get that question a lot too? Oh, so do you mean like that? That what what what's the Jurassic Park theory from? Like I know that they got the DNA from a mosquito, although you know, um, the mosquito shown in the amber in the original Jurassic Park movie was a Toxorhynchites for size. Um, so it could not have been a, a dinosaur. Oh, whoa. I knew it like wasn't like a like a I knew there was something wrong with it. I couldn't remember what, but I didn't realize it was one that wouldn't have fed on dinosaurs. I heard it was like a, a crane fly. Oh, yeah. It's a Toxorhynchites. Interesting. So I've always heard that mosquitoes mostly feed on nectar and other sugar sources. Is that true? Yeah, so adult mosquitoes, again, so I guess we can kind of, I can also cover that mosquitoes uh, start their life um, in the water. So the eggs are laid on the water surface sometimes or at the edge of the water, and those eggs hatch into the water. They have an aquatic life cycle. The whole larval stage is aquatic. So they'll live in the water. Some will eat like little bacteria, plankton, algae. As they get bigger, they might eat unicellular aquatic organisms like protists. And then they might step up as they get larger to eat other uh, aquatic invertebrates. And uh, after a few days or, you know, up to a couple weeks in some species, they close um, or they pupate, sorry, and then emerge out of the water as adult, you know, flying mosquitoes that everyone can hopefully recognize. And at that point, uh, that's when they start getting nectar as their main uh, sugar source. And that sugar acts as mostly just fuel uh, for flying around for both males and females. Interesting. So that being said, I like to think that Buzzwool, the Pokemon, likely feeds on sugar sources in the Pokemon world, like berries or perhaps flowers, which aren't there aren't that many that are mentioned within the game. But I assume it prefers berries that benefit bug and fighting types such as the Solic, Kelpsy, Chopal, Lepa, Enigma, Figgy, and Tonga berries. Those are specialized to bug and fighting types. But who knows? There could be berries in the Ultra Jungle that we have never heard of yet. And since you can't get... So you can't uh, breed Buzzwool in the game like you can in normal Pokemon since it's a legendary. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear if Buzzwool requires sucking the energy of other Pokemon to survive and reproduce, like how mosquitoes need a blood meal for their eggs. But hear me out, though. I have a theory that Buzzwool would love the Pokemon Bounsweet. Do you know that Pokemon? Bounsweet. Is that a new Pokemon? It is. It's from Sun and Moon. Okay, so... Well, new to us. We're, we're the old oh, generations. I, 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 I did play Sun and Moon. <laughs> I know I know bounce suite. I know it's Serena. So I just forgot that the first evolution is a bounce suite, which I believe is a cherimoya or it's an exotic fruit. I know. It's based on a mangosteen. Oh, it's a mangosteen. You... Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so with it being a fruit Pokemon, I feel like Buswell would specifically love the sweetness of a fruit Pokemon while also getting the benefits of the Pokemon's energy that it sucks out. Also, shout out to my friend, Dr. Muriel Nauman, who studies the effects of mangosteen properties on cancer. 
I don't know all the details of her research, but I got to visit her lab in Chicago a while ago. It was amazing. And Muriel, if you hear this, I love you. You're the best. Very but cool. that's my theory. <laughs> so I would so do so as an ultra beast. Do the ultra beasts have genders, or do they, are, can they come in either gender? It does not have gender or sex assigned to it. Okay. It's like for most legendaries, it's just blank. So that's another thing. And it's there's not much information on Buswell or the the ultra jungle in general because of legendaries and also. Theoretically, in the Pokemon world, this would require research. Mm-hmm. And I assume mm-hmm. most researchers haven't gone through the wormhole quite yet. Uh, <laughs> that would be cool to get a degree in in wormholes and studying organisms across time and space. But I guess that's just evolutionary biologists, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean... I- in terms of of diet you know i guess i wouldn't be very sure it, it does seem that buzzwool really values its protein so it might have to go beyond uh some of the plant-based pokemon in order to get its meals depending on you know what it's trying to do especially you know maybe for like its normal operation like flying around which i'm guessing it does on its with its wings um or uh, moving around uh, it might just be like sugar based um, but when it wants to put on some muscle and get bigger, like it apparently does, um, then it would definitely <laughs> have to go for, you know, like a a meatier uh, prey item. It's got to bulk up with the protein. Yeah. <laughs> I assume that Buzzwool can't reproduce, like you can't get eggs because it's not, because it is native to the Ultra Jungle, which is a different place, literally in space. And so its reproductive capabilities may be restricted in Alola because that's where the character, you know, protagonist operates. Mm-hmm. So if it's in a different part of space, maybe it, I don't know, changes something about the reproduction of Buzzwool. But this is all of my theory crafting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm actually still recovering from the fact that it's really supposed to be a mosquito. I mean, I, I do appreciate the kind of twist on a mosquito the fact that it's it's buff Um, (laughs) but yeah so i'm still digesting that but um, it's a very cool play on on a mosquito pokemon speaking of ultra space i was considering how buzzwool is not native to alola and where it is native to which in sun and moon you encounter buzzwool by going to the ultra jungle where there are massive trees and an active volcano in the middle So this made me curious about the distribution of mosquitoes near volcanoes. It also made me think about um, native versus non-native mosquitoes. And since Alola is based in Hawaii, I started by looking for papers that survey Mm. mosquitoes near Hawaiian volcanoes. Well, um, you're not going to find much. (laughs) You're not going to find much in terms of diversity. Um, So I actually, one of my close friends over, academic friends, is one of the few people to have actually put, like reviewed um, Hawaiian mosquito fauna. Whoa! And while he was doing his masters at the University of Hawaii Manoa, Mitchell Kirsch is his name, and there are only seven species currently on Hawaii because there are zero native uh, mosquitoes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I know you did an Alola episode, but. Um, no, no, no mosquitoes native to Hawaii. 
I had no idea, but I guess that makes sense since it's an island. And island things. But the one paper I did find, so it, it basically covers what you just said, that, well, there are mosquitoes around volcanoes in Hawaii, mm -hmm. and this paper was from 1980, so I don't think it was by your friend. No, no, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but it surveyed mosquitoes at Mauna Loa, and the interesting part of the paper to me was that they described the distribution of mosquito species, and specifically Culex kinkofasciatus, coinciding with with what is called a kipuka, which is a pocket of undisturbed vegetation surrounded by relatively barren lava flows. Mm -hmm. And so kipukas are associated are with increased bird and mammal activities, so it makes sense that the mosquitoes would be near where there is a blood meal to be able to reproduce. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was mostly just like a, a logical thing, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Not like a, you know big novel discovery but i think it is interesting that mosquitoes can exist near volcanoes and i saw another paper on mosquitoes near volcanoes in central mexico but mm -hmm. i don't know much about the specifics of like heat tolerance or i know there is research on how lava impacts biodiversity and whatnot but that is not my specialty so i can't <laughs> speak much further on that yeah, so Culex kinkofasciatus, which is, it got to Hawaii probably from the U.S., uh, the mainland. Um, it's been there for a while, and it is pretty closely associated with mostly birds, which Hawaii has a lot of. Um, mm. And actually right now, it's implicated as the main vector in avian malaria, which is a Whoa. huge problem in Hawaii right now, because a lot of the um, native bird species are being decimated by a combination of things, one of those factors being avian malaria. So there's a lot of efforts right now in trying to control the Culex kinkofasciatus populations in the native, in the the kind of undisturbed areas. It's kind of really hard to control them in the, the populated areas, but in those kind of like the Kapukas and the other national forests, there's, there's some really crazy things going on. Um, I just saw a talk last year where they're using drones to deploy like these canisters so they they shoot the canister out into the forest through via the drone it lands on the ground and then from there it dispenses male mosquitoes that have been um modified with a an endosymbiont that makes them incapable of mating with the native the mosquitoes that are there mm. so that'll the females that will mate with those males not produce any offspring and then can, that'll kind of control the population. But it's this really cool, like, drone-delivered mosquito canister. Um, <laughs> yeah, method. Can you imagine if there was, like, a drone-delivered bus full? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an entirely different problem. Um, yeah. Also for volcanic, uh, volcanoes and mosquitoes. So now there's Aedes aegypti in, um, in Hawaii as well. And I said earlier, 80s is good at using really small volumes of water. And they found that one of the really small volumes of water that appears around volcanoes is actually lava rock. So if you think about lava rock, it's got all those like little pockets and, and things in it. Mm. Um, so those are filled with water, rainwater or whatever. And the 80s can actually develop in those little pockets. Oh, gosh. Yep. And like the pumice stone and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Basalt or other... Ge geological, geological. We're not things. geologists. Yes, we're, we're not biologists. 
In this 1980 paper about the volcanic mosquitoes, it says that it, it lists the introduced species to so like 80s aegypti um, and the other 80s, but it lists, it calls four additional predatory species and they're mm-hmm. all Toxoronchites. So mm. is Toxoronchites a predator to those species? Or since you talked about the larvae yeah. eating other mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Toxoronchites, uh, they'll eat anything. So they'll eat um, any mosquito species. They'll eat each other. And I I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think they were brought to Hawaii on purpose at some point yes. after World War II. Um, in an effort to kind of control the other mosquito populations. And they can still be found there today, um, just in, in really small numbers. And it really, because they're so voracious and they'll eat each other, it's really hard to like actually use them to control the populations. Are they also able to exist in those small pools with 80s? But since they're so big, perhaps they can't. Um, I mean, they theoretically could, but it'd be hard for them to get food. Um, so they mm. do much better in like larger things like uh like tree holes or or vernal pools larger bodies of water Mm, okay i see another thing i wanted to get to as well before we keep going on about predatory mosquitoes which (laughs) i could totally imagine buswell just eating a pokemon (laughs) straight up devouring it but anyways I imagine that in the ultra jungle, like mosquitoes, Buswell relies on the presence of other organisms, other Pokemon, so that when they mate, they can suck the energy of one of those Pokemon to increase their fluid sac size to show potential mates their strength and to better communicate. And Buswell is known to communicate through muscular poses, which you can see in the Pokemon anime when Ash and Kiawe do poses with a buzzwool that they find. But I wanted to know how similar this might be to how real mosquitoes communicate and their courtship practices. Yeah, interesting. So I can definitely, you know, see see buzzwool striking a, some swole poses. <laughs> um, mosquitoes, on the other hand, you know, they're not they're not super visual. Um, they, they do have eyesight which allows them to locate hosts um mostly um so they can see like large objects and they're actually attracted to kind of the shadows generated by by large objects or moving things but their eyesight to see each other is not great Um, if you can imagine like as a mosquito size you know you'd have to be pretty close up to see another mosquito so most of their courtship is actually done through the males finding the females using the wing beat frequency. So each species, when they, when they fly, they they flap their, their pair of, their one pair of wings. I'm noticing now that Buzzwell has two pairs of wings. Um, (laughs) Not the wing discrepancy every time. Well, it's, it's sad because you, okay, I get, this is actually quite an accurate insect, I guess, because it has four wings and six limbs, but flies only have one pair of wings. So, you know, miss, miss there. But anyway, when they fly, their wings are, are moving at a certain frequency and that frequency vibrates the air and generates a very high frequency sound wave. Um, so sometimes, usually younger people, you can kind of hear when a mosquito is kind of buzzing around, especially if they get close to your ear. And then actually older people lose 
your high frequency uh, hearing. So older people tend to not be so sensitive to, to the mosquitoes. Um, they, the mosquitoes themselves are very sensitive to those high frequency sounds, however. Um, so they have sensilla that pick up these high frequency sound waves and that's how the males um, find the females. They also, well, that's actually kind of the second stage. I, I kind of skipped a step. So the, the first step actually is the males, <laughs> the males will seek out similar cues that the females seek out. So males will go for CO2, which is what all vertebrates exhale. So let's say though, like a, a female bus will, if that exists, you know, pumping iron. She's, <laughs> you know, breathing out some CO2. <laughs> Yeah. That's how she's located. <laughs> yeah. Or or like they're the Pokemon that that Buzzful wants to, you know, suck all the energy out of is is releasing the CO2. And the males aren't interested in um the blood meal, however, they will follow the host cues because they know that the females are also following those same cues. Oh, that's so smart. They'll go for the CO2 kind of first, then they'll kind of watch out for that wing beat frequency of the female, that's how they'll kind of find where the female is. And then once you're kind of right up against each other, that's when they'll use sight to kind of check check the female out. And there isn't really a ton of, of female choice going on, at least in, in the species that, that I study. They kind of just, uh, you know, if they find each other, they kind of go for it. Is it because of the frequency or can they have multiple mates and store multiple male sperm? Why is there a lack of female choice? You know, most, most females will mate singly. That's why certain control methods that involve mating disruption can work. Um, like, so what I mentioned before about releasing the edited, the modified males, because they only usually mate once, they'll have a big impact. Um, on the female population. And in terms of the lack of choice, you know, you know, it's, it's hard out there for a mosquito. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the mosquitoes in the wild are not putting as much time into their physique as buzzwall buzzwall is. So they don't really have much to show off except for the fact that, you know, they found each other and it's like, well, that's a good enough achievement, I guess. Well, then I guess you can add that potentially buzzwall is a unique mosquito group where there is potentially female choice based on musculature and and there are some like fancy decorated mosquitoes so like so 80s like i was talking about 80s albopictus it does have like nice really flashy white scales so but they are thought to be more just for species recognition among the species but there are some really fancy mosquitoes so um sabithes is a genus of of really big mosquitoes, not as big as Toxobranchites, and they do blood feed, but they're found like in the tropics, and they have like these big pom poms on their legs. Ooh, she's fancy. And they, you know, they look pretty ridiculous when they fly. Um, and I wonder if there is some sexual selection going on there. I don't actually know if it's been studied. Interesting. A call for potential graduate students out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> to study sexual selection in mosquitoes. Yeah, I, I don't actually know the, you know, why they evolved to have those big fancy, big fancy uh, pom poms. Well, speaking of communication and working on the physique, I wanted to take a quick break to feature a special guest who can teach you how to communicate with your muscles. Let's learn how to get swole like buzz swole. 
Okay, who are you and what do you do? Hi, uh, so my name is Carl Lagerman. I uh, am a personal trainer. Carl and I go way back. Carl, you were just in my wedding. You were one of our um, groomsmen and you are my favorite gym bro. Mm. And today I have you to talk about Buzzwool, the Pokemon. Can you tell me your first impressions of seeing this Pokemon? I do. Wow. I didn't expect Pokemon to look like this. I didn't <laughs> think they tapped into this part of... Um, i trying to think of what the right word is. Whatever the case... It, I, I don't know. Um, very top-heavy, if we're talking <laughs> about it. Of, uh, in, in terms of... Um, body like i don't know in terms of the way he looks very top heavy let's <laughs> just to put it simply so you as a personal trainer when you see buzzwool what is your first of all your general idea of what kind of muscles buzzwool is focusing on yeah so i am i'm seeing a lot of a lot of chest size and definition um something i was reading in buzzwool's uh what is it called bulbapedia is the website i'm currently using uh he has like silver i don't know lines or whatever you, whatever the right word for it that are like striations that are normally seen in human anatomy yeah the the chest uh a lot of Shoulder, like pretty much everything and anything, upper body, biceps, triceps, shoulders, you name it. And so I specifically wanted to talk to you about what kind of workout you might suggest as a personal trainer to someone who wants to get swole like buzzwool. Alrighty, so I guess we could start off with, I'd say something something pretty simple with... uh what is known as a push press that can be done with pretty much things such as like dumbbells or barbells. But the example I'm going to be using here is with a, with a barbell. It's pretty much just pushing up, like in an upward motion, and then like tucking your head back. It targets pretty much, I'd say, your shoulders, chest, triceps, and then I guess a little bit amount of the lower body because it's like a quarter squat motion because you're you're not just pushing with your upper body you're loading a little bit before you shoot up some some people might might know uh lat pull downs because you know he he has wings and uh lats on the human body uh people like to make jokes that they are if they are big enough and you flex them in the right way they can look like wings but it, anyways, I had no uh, idea. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah. Um. Or like, uh, what? 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 Uh. People refer to them as like, um. Yeah. Like, like wings or like, yeah, stuff like that. Because if they're big enough, you can definitely tell. Um. So yeah, lat pull downs would work well for that. If you want to start getting into his arms, I mean, good. So was that like the back or the chest? Or the lats it, it's... and the the push push up push. What? So, I mean, obviously everyone knows where their armpit is. It's going to be that muscle that's... It's going to be more towards your back, but it's that muscle that's 
connect not connected i don't know that's a whole different topic but it's gonna be a little bit below and back to your armpit it's kind of weird to flex it but if you flex it enough you can feel it it's kind of weird give it a quick google search it's called a lat or latis what is it latissimus dorsi that's the technical name for it but yeah uh, if you want to start talking about his shoulders, I mean, you could do shoulder press. You could use a dumbbell, barbell for that as well. Um, you could do a landmine press. You're going to be doing that with barbell. That's going to be targeting pretty much everything as well. It's mainly used for shoulder or like shoulder muscles. and But it also works your biceps, your triceps. Bicep curls. I mean, you could do bicep curls, hammer curls, uh, reverse curls. I mean... There's there's so many curls that target different parts of the body. I, I could go on and on about that for hours. Um, good lord, I mean triceps as well. I think there's tricep pushdowns. You can use a bar for that. A rope, pretty much anything. And these things called skull crushers. You can use like a mini. I'm trying to think barbell for that. Kind of lay lay down on a bench and. Go over your head. It's the same motion as a pushdown. It's just laying down. So there's more gravity's playing into more of a part of it. So you're working against that as well. I guess, man, I could eat. Yeah, let's let's go into legs a little bit. Because, you know, looking at him, uh, you don't see it. But uh, according to, from what I'm reading, he, he is a, a large, they, they are a large individual. And with that much... <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest, uh, 735 pounds, that's a lot of weight to be carrying. And if, especially if you're talking to me, I don't, don't skip legs. To everyone out there, please do not skip legs. Do not think that upper body is the only thing you should be doing. So you but you'll look like bus wool. I, I, exactly. And then <laughs> you're, you're going to be dealing with a bunch of other complications from only doing upper body. That's a whole different conversation for another day. But you could be doing squats i mean good lord you could be there's so many variations for that you could be using i mean just body weight honestly barbells dumbbells kettlebells i mean there's even machines for it i personally love using hack squats it's just it's it's the same thing as a squat it's just more of a simplified motion so you don't have to worry about all of the all of the other trying to think muscles that are involved with balancing and things like that. It's less stress on your back, etc. Uh, another personal favorite. Some people must or probably do hate these. Uh, Bulgarian split squats. I love them. They're they're good for you uh, for more than just your quads. They help your glutes out as well. Uh, calf raises, leg extensions. I mean, and then uh, another underrated and very forgotten exercise is, I guess, two exercises, if you will. So adductor and abductor machine. Or as the the a different lady I train with, she calls it the in and out machine. It's Julie, you 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 might know what I'm talking about. It's the thing where you can adjust it, kind of where you're squeezing, like the like the pads or whatever in towards you or like pushing back out, and it's like oh, activating yeah. like the muscles. Like I'm doing it in my office space right now without the like, machine. I'm mimicking it. I can yeah, feel it. Or if you're pushing out, it's like more towards your glutes and that part of that area. Um, hip thrusts and then uh, hamstring curls. I know there's there's a laying down, a prone machine for that, or there's a sitting one as well, or another 
favorite that I have is RDLs. It's it's another hamstring slash glute exercise, but it, it works both. So I, I love it for that. You can use barbells for that. So yeah, that's that's a couple of exercises that I have for what I would imagine that Buzzwole is is doing themselves. Well, thank you for joining the Swole Patrol, Carl. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> How can people find you and your advice? Can people hire you? Can people ask you for free? Yeah. Um, so I, since I am still newer to the fitness industry, I, I don't mind giving out advice. But if, if we're talking about things such as as programming, then then we could talk about rates as well. But that's that's if people are seriously interested. Um, you can reach me. I mean, I guess Instagram. If you if you want to DM me there, it's Carl with a C underscore Logger via L A G E R, or my like the email. beer. Yes, correct, exactly. Or my uh, email. If you'd like to do that as well, it's going to be um, Loggerman sixty seven at gmail dot com. Um, and I'll just spell it out real quick. It'll be L A G E R. Man sixty seven at gmail dot com. Um, if you're if you're interested in training, virtual training as well, I can do that. Or if you live in, I'd say northeastern Wisconsin, don't be afraid to reach out. I can see how far away it is, and I can travel as well. We can talk about rates in terms of that. Just if you're if you're gonna email me, please. I I guess just the title is like personal training or things like that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carl. And for our listeners, if you are interested in doing the Swole Leg Buzz Swole workout, um, I will have it posted in our community Discord, the Pika Science Discord, which you can find a link to below, and we'll share that there. Thanks for sharing, Carl. You're welcome. And we are back. The last thing I wanted to cover is the ecological niche that Buzz Swole may be filling in the ultra jungle. So as a little bit of a, a recap, Ben, what is the role of mosquitoes in nature? Well, so that's a pretty contested uh, discussion that a lot of people have had um, in general. So mosquitoes, you know, they're, they're small insects that fly around. They become food for lots of things, um, birds, other insects, other animals, both in their adult stage and in their larval stage. So important for aquatic systems too, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I should say important quite yet. I don't know <laughs> what you're about I to mean, say. I mean, it's debatable. There's So like things like, you know, Aedes aegypti, which is developing in, um, you know, a flower pot you left out or your dog bowl. Um, that's maybe not ecologically, that ecologically relevant. However, what can't be overlooked is kind of the biomass transfer that mosquitoes as as a whole um, carry out, which is taking all this nutrition that kind of accumulates in small to large bodies of water through the through algae uh, and um, other microorganisms, they take that biomass and actually take it from the water and bring it out into the terrestrial system. So they they make that nutrition and primary production available for for all of those organisms that then eat the mosquitoes. 
So that 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 really can't be overlooked because of the sheer amount of of that process that they do. There are of course other flies um, that are also aquatic, but none have really taken up as many niches and in as many ways as uh, mosquitoes have. So what you're saying is is that they cover a breadth of niches. Yeah, and and, and but the the one unique kind of I would say their main contribution is that kind of taking the nutrition from these aquatic systems and moving it into the the terrestrial systems. But there's a lot of diversity there. Again, there's 3,500 species and maybe less than 10% of them are causing any problem for any, you know, for humans um, in any way. So, you know, who's to say um, what might happen if you were to eliminate some or more, one or more species? Do you think in terms of animals that being a disease vector is an ecological role? Well, in nature, if you think like, if you take humans out of the equation, that's definitely true. You know, a lot of the diseases that um, are transferred by the pathogens that mosquitoes vector, they are in themselves organisms, you know, so beyond viruses, you have bacteria. You have um, filarial worms, you have, you know, complex unicellular parasites like malaria. So there's a lot to be said about about how those organisms that become pathogens have their own ecology and fit into um, nature as a whole. Humans have kind of disrupted a lot of those systems and they kind of, you know, we have different priorities when it comes to how humans interact with the natural world. So we don't really tolerate um, those, the presence of things like, you know, malaria. So even though it's, it's kind of so closely tied with humanity at this point. So it, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, humans, in as much as we disturb um, the natural world, um, we are, are a part of it. And, you know, getting these kind of, especially the epizootic diseases. So the diseases that come from animal cycles. So when people get West Nile virus from birds, it's because we as humans have kind of established so much. The mosquitoes are kind of just reminding us that, that we're also a part of nature. Yeah, as for ways. eradicating mosquitoes or people, people talk about, you know, getting rid of all the mosquitoes and it not having any ecological impacts. Of course, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, after all the stuff we've talked about here and the fact that there's so many diverse species, but there are a few species, um, like Anopheles gambiae, for example, that is, um, the main vector of malaria in Africa. And it's so closely evolved with humans that you could kind of argue that it doesn't even participate in many, uh, in, in natural ecology outside of humanity. So if we were to eliminate it, um, and there are people, you know, that's, that's a, a research aim that's in progress. You, we would reduce a huge amount of human suffering and human mortality um, that malaria causes while not really having a huge impact on ecology as a whole. So to answer that eradication question, there are specific species that we could try to aim for. But overall, of course, um, mosquitoes are hugely important. Well, in terms of buzzwool and vector disease stuff 
we don't really know a lot about Buzzwolves since it's, you know, a rare ultra beast and it's from the ultra jungle. Not a lot of not a lot of graduate students in the Pokemon world get sent through the wormhole. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I don't think we can really say that Buzzwolf has a role in disease in the Pokemon world. Maybe it does. Um it doesn't have any moves like bug bite or anything like oh, that. I don't think it can learn bug bite, but yeah, I wish there was more to be able to go off of that. But from what we do know, Buzzwool is a common Pokemon in the Ultra Jungle, so it's not rare in the jungle. And I, there's no doubt there's other Pokemon in the Ultra Jungle. We just don't know which. Um, but thinking about how Buzzwool might serve as predator and prey, although <laughs> in terms of Buzzwool being a predator, it doesn't sound like it really preys on anything it just absorbs their energy for its own energy so i'm thinking a lot of that comes from what we talked about like the sugar resources but in terms of prey it's so large that i feel like the only thing that could really eat buzzwool are if it's like an extremely large pokemon which most of the extremely large pokemon are legendaries so anything about pokemon that could eat buzzwool there's Pokemon like Guzzlord. I think Pokemon that can traverse time and space like Dialga, <laughs> Palkia, Giratina are possibly coming in and consuming Buzzwool. So serving as prey to our Apex legendaries. But like I said, we don't really know much about its role in disease, but I think its main thing would be prey to the legendaries. Yeah, I don't know what your thoughts I, are I'm on that. I'm just sad that, that as a legendary, it doesn't have an evolutionary line. Because it'd be so oh, that's cool so true. to see their take on a mosquito larvae, um, or like a mosquito pupae even, as a pre-evolutionary form. That would be very cool to see. Oh, so true. It would be such a good, like, it's it's a perfect setup for an evolutionary line. It'd be fun. If it was like a really scrawny larvae or something, and if you yes, evolved it. Captain America yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, it with like an iron ball or something. <laughs> you get swole. <laughs> <laughs> well ben does your brain feel swole now um definitely um swoller than it was at the start of this just i've been spending an hour looking at buzz swole's pecs so <laughs> we've flexed our brain muscles i'm communicating through my brain poses but before we go ben do you have any plugs Anywhere people can find you, or do you even want people um, to find you? Yeah, I mean, people can find me on on Twitter, um, le underscore floor f l o o r. Um, I'm also part of um, the American Mosquito Control Association Young Professionals, um, so look out for for that group on social media as well. If you have any questions about mosquitoes or mosquito research or mosquito control. Or if you um, want to get into those kinds of fields, um, our group is a great resource for um, burgeoning mosquito scientists and um, the like. So you can reach out. Awesome. And last, as always, you can follow me, Jillian, on my socials at Bugs or Bust on Twitter and Instagram. You can join me, the rest of the Pika Science cast, and your fellow listeners and the Pika Science Discord, which is linked below. Thank you all for tuning in and leveling up with EXP.